I thought kindness was going to be an easy one. What's the kindness? Did you know? And I don't, and again, because of all the craziness of what happened this morning trying to get ready for church, because I thought I'd allowed myself lots of time. That didn't happen. And so the end result was I don't have the word in front of you. I wanted to put the Greek word in front of you and then the English transliteration up there. Um, but the word that's found in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, which is the, the, the fruit of the Spirit section, the word in Greek is. It's pronounced cray, stop, taste. And the way you remember it, and unfortunately you don't have it in front of you to look at, but that's okay. The way you remember it is crayons taught ace. So if you know somebody named Ace, which I do actually, I know a young man whose name his nickname is Ace. The crayons taught ace. What? Take off the the the, the O N. Cray stopped ace. Cray stopped ace. That's the word that is translated into English as kindness. Which I thought, okay, that's great. The problem is, it can also be translated gentleness. It can also be translated goodness. But, but, but. And so you have to kind of look at the context. And also, trust with the translators who translated did kindness and goodness or gentleness as appropriate. Now, have you ever heard the term loving kindness? Most of the time you'll see that phrase in the Old Testament. A lot of times it's in the book of Psalms. Oh Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. Or whatever. That word, loving kindness, is the Hebrew word chesed. H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. It is as close to an equivalent with the Greek word kresatotis. Kresatotis. So, chesed, kresatotis are pretty similar in meaning. Unfortunately, there is no direct English word that translates either one of those words. But the idea is doing something when you're not required to do it. Doing something out of a motivation of love, not legality. Um, Doing something without expectation of being repaid or recouped, or having the expectation that the other person will do for you later. You know, like you scratch my back today and I'll scratch your back tomorrow. There is none of that in this idea of kindness. Kindness is doing for another whether they can ever pay you back or not. Doing for another whether they deserve it or not. Doing for another simply because it is the good thing, the right thing, the appropriate thing to do. And quite often, kindness costs you. Which is intriguing. There's an old expression, kill them with kindness. Have you ever heard that expression? Kill them with kindness. The, the idea is that 
Well, one of the one of the the, 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 the authors that I read this morning is that kindness has the power to soften hearts. Think about it. If you are being harmed, I'll just use that. If you're being harmed in some way, maybe there, maybe there, somebody's being mean spirited to you, maybe somebody's speaking badly of you, maybe somebody's just cheating, cheating you, whatever the case may be. If you're being harmed by another person, if you go and confront them, the reality is it will end up being a volatile situation. Whereas if you respond in kindness to them, you actually, um, you are actually opening up the door, if you will, for healing in the relationship. So the idea being that I want to do the right thing, the appropriate thing, the good thing, I want to um, be honoring of God, I want to do this whether or not I expect to get repaid or whether or not I expect to be reimbursed or whether or not I expect it. Even gain them as a friend. I just need to do what's right and appropriate and good. And that is being kind. Um, I read yesterday um, about, uh, there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody that I, that I knew. He, he went to Best Buy down in Lower 48 because he had ordered a TV on, uh, online. It had been delivered when it got there. Whoever had been delivering it had dropped the TV and the screen had been shattered into just pieces. And so, after opening the box, he finds all the stuff broken, so he just closes the box back up. Well, rather than trying to ship it back, he just he gets instructed to take it to the local Best Buy. So he goes to the nearest Best Buy, and he comes in carrying this huge big box, and he explains to the person at the front desk what's going on. And they say, yeah, we're going to make this right. And, oh, by the way, if you want, you can actually upgrade this because the one that's just a step above this is even better in features. And it's only $10 more because it's being on sale. And so the guy goes, well, sure, I'll do that. And then he realizes he didn't have any cash with him. He didn't bring his credit card with him. He's like, ah, I was just expecting to get reimbursed my money back. And then I said, look, don't worry about it. And he literally pulls his own wallet out and takes a $10 bill out and puts it in the till to cover the cost of the additional money. And the man was just shocked. He said, why would you do that? He said, because you were kind to me today. He said, you'd be amazed how unkind people are today. And that was very timely <laughs> in this study for me. I was like, wow. Because the man who walked in with the broken TV did not go in there with any understanding or expectation that he was going to manipulate a situation through his kindness. He was simply going in to get something fixed. And he had been told, bring the broken TV in and we'll make it good. We'll give you a new one. But because he did the right thing by not taking his frustration out on the person behind the counter. Because the person behind the counter had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that the TV was broken. It wasn't the guy at the counter's fault. It wasn't even the manager at the store's fault. It was the people in the shipping. Whoever it was that physically delivered the thing to the guy. 
So his anger would have been very displaced had he taken out of his anger and frustration on the, the person standing at the counter. And, and he said, this guy who was writing this, he said, I was so dumbfounded that this kid would take $10 out of his own pocket when he's probably not making a whole lot more than that per hour. Because he was so taken aback by my kindness. What does he go through on a daily basis? That he would do that. And he said, it just made him stop and think. And as I was trying to come up with, or think through some things about, you know, what Bible stories do we have that show kindness? The one that was just prominent for me, I mean, the one I just shared with the kids about the Good Samaritan, yes, he's being kind. But, and, and there was no expectation of repayment, and there was no trying to manipulate a situation. He just saw a need, and he was doing the right thing, and making, making it right for that human being. But this story that I'm about to share with us this morning is just, it's rich when you're thinking about what does kindness mean. So turn with me. We're going to go into the Old Testament. And we're going to check out to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel, and it's chapter 4. Now, just to give us a little bit of background, because um, when I said 4, it's not 4, sorry. <laughs> it's like 9, 10, 14, I don't remember. I don't have it written down. Here, it's chapter 9. Second Samuel, chapter 9. To give you the history, the background of this, if you remember, King Saul was, in, was the, the king. Saul had a son named Jonathan. God had rejected Saul as king because of Saul's disobedience. God had directed that the prophet Samuel go privately to the town of Bethlehem and anoint the one that God would show him who was to be king. And it ended up that it was David, the son of Jesse. And then David ends up, through a series of, of circumstances, comes into the court of King Saul. And King Saul comes to know David and, and actually becomes jealous of David and begins trying to kill David. And David then has to run for his life. But while he's in the court of King David, he has made a, a dear, dear friend with the son of King Saul, who is Jonathan. And at one point, well actually, to give you an understanding of this, go back to the first Samuel, chapter 20. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 20. And what this is, is you'll see the relationship between David and Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan, <coughs> well, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks to kill me? And Jonathan said to David, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. Why should my father hide this from me, if it's not, if it is so? I mean, it isn't so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And then Jonathan said to David, 
Whatever you say, whatever, whatever you say, I'll do it for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third day of evening. If your father misses me at all, then say simply, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of the clan. If he says, Good, then it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant if you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that he should harm that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let, let, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be a witness between you and me. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he's well disposed towards you, I shall I not then send, uh, uh, send, and do, excuse me, send and disclose it to you. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan more. If I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go to safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, and this is the verse you want to hear. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So, what this is saying for us, this history, is that King Saul wanted to kill David. And David was running for his life, but he confided his fear and his concern to Jonathan, the crown prince. And Jonathan said, no, 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 there's no way he's going to do this to you. I would know about it if there was this kind of problem. And David said, no, the reality is he was, he's going to kill me. He's looking for every opportunity to cause me harm. And Jonathan said, look, you stay in hiding, and I'll let you know if I find out anything different. Well, it ends up that he does find out something different. And then he sends David on his way. But before he goes, he has David swear this oath of covenantal love between himself and David. He says, do not harm me or my family when God raises you up to be the king. Why would he say that? He would say that because it was normal when there was a change of leadership that wasn't familial. In other words, when the dynasty ended because another dynasty was beginning, it was normal that justice demanded that all of the offspring, especially the males at least, all of the male offspring of the current king be, be, be executed. That way there would be no chance for them to try and raise up, to reestablish the throne in their family's name and usurp the current king. And so Jonathan said, if indeed God, I mean, even if I find out that my father's caused me to harm you, I'm going to send you on your way, but I know that I know that I know that God is going to raise you up to be king someday, David. I know that. So when that happens, please, remember my love for you. Remember our relationship. Don't take out the justice on me and my family when God raises you up. And David swears an oath to Jonathan. He says, I will do that. I will stay in covenantal relationship with you. I will not bring that harm onto your family. 
Well, then time progresses, and as it turns out, King Saul does indeed die. And Jonathan is killed in that same battle. And David is then raised up to be king. And for a period of years, there's this tension between Saul's family, because Ishbosheth is raised up to be the king of Israel, and David is simply raised up to be the king over Judah. And then after seven years, Ishbosheth goes out of the window, and David now becomes king. So now, having all of that history, now let's look at chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel says, verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He scribbled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Now before we go there, um, before we go any farther, you need to know who, who this son is. When, <clears throat> when David was, uh, when, when, when Saul and Jonathan were killed in that battle, the, the nurse, the governess of this little boy, Mephibosheth is the name of the boy, she picks him up, he's five years old, she picks him up and she's carrying him, running, trying to get him to safety for fear that he's going to be killed. Because what did I just say? The justice is whoever's taking over is going to kill all of the sons of the king. And Jonathan's son, the grandson of the king, Saul, is Mephibosheth. He's only five years old, he can't defend himself. So this nurse, this goddess, grabs him up, and in her haste, she somehow drops him. And a spinal injury happens. Now, we don't know anything more than that. All we know is that age five, the nurse trying to protect the child, ends up harming the child, and he loses the use of his legs. It says he's lame in both feet, is what the, the, way, the way the Bible says it. And if you read the story of Mephibosheth, it's, it's literally, it, he, he has, he's just dead. His feet drag in the ground. I mean, he's, he's a mess. It's a, it's a horrible mess. Well, then it says in, in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, uh, verse 5, Then the king sent and brought Mephibosheth from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show such regard for such a dead dog as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house. I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson shall have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king demands, I so so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's at David's table like one of the king's sons, 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table, even though he was lame in both his feet. David had no legal obligation to Mephibosheth. Legally, he was, he was in every right to not only kill Mephibosheth, but to kill Micah, the son. But David, because he had a covenantal relationship with Jonathan, and because of his depth of love for Jonathan, he said, I don't need to be guarded against you rising up and trying to take over my kingdom. I want to show kindness to you. I want to show goodness to you. I want to show love you. Not only do I, have, I want to be nice to you, I'm going to restore to you your place. I'm going to put you back as if your father and grandfather had died and left you everything. You now are in charge of all that was Saul's. I'm giving you servants, I'm giving you land, I'm giving you half, and I'm raising you up in honor in this, this kingdom. Because not only do you have the full run of everything that has been Saul's, but you have the right to come and eat at my table on a daily basis. And so, literally, Mephibosheth was given a place as a palace. He was given, a, he had a, a rightful place to come into the court of the king. He shouldn't have at any stretch. He was deformed, he was broken, he was damaged. By all rights, he wasn't even allowed to go into the temple to worship because of his deformity and his damage. But God, through David, honored Mephibosheth and brought him up. And it was an incredible kindness. David wasn't going to get anything out of this. David wasn't trying to manipulate a situation. He wasn't trying to, in any way, gain anything. Now, he did gain. It says that people just loved David more and more and more because of the way he treated people. But David's goal was simply, I love Jonathan, your father, and I want to honor that love. And I'm going to do good. I'm going to do a kind thing. I owe you nothing, but I'm going to do a kind thing for you. That's probably the greatest story out of the Bible about this idea of kindness. Our point as Christians in this, this morning's study is we're trying to understand how does this apply to my life? And as going back with the, with the idea, the metaphor that I've used of God giving us a tool bag filled with the fruit of the Spirit, when I reach in and I grab up kindness, what am I doing with this? Now there's a great story there of what kindness looks like. And you heard me say earlier, kindness softens hard hearts. Kindness softens bad situations. But all of those things kind of lean towards the idea that if, I, if I'm in a bad situation, I'm kind to them so that I get good. You know, like the story of that guy at the Best Buy. He wasn't intending to try and manipulate the situation, but you've known people, if you haven't been it yourself, who's walked in pouring on the kindness and being so nice with the expectation that maybe I'll get a better cable. Or maybe I'll, I'll get something in, in, on behalf of myself. Because there was an ulterior motive. But this idea of kindness is not trying to get anything for myself, it is trying to just do what is good and kind and appropriate. Um, there's one of the definitions of kindness of this word Grace thought taste is the idea of good moral character. 
So why, what am I doing? If God is calling me, if he's giving me this as a gift and a fruit of the Spirit, and it's supposed to come out of my life, and it's supposed to be a way that I exhibit my Christ-likeness, What is it? How is it? How do I implement it? Well, you don't have to turn here because it's too familiar. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is Christotes. Love is kind. So if you are trying to be a loving human being, if you're trying to show the love of God to the people, then kindness is one of the ways that it's done. So there's this idea that God, I want to be a good representative of the kingdom to the people in my community. I want to show your love. Well, how do I show your love? By being kind. And I'm not being political in any stretch of the imagination. Hear me, okay? I am not in any way trying to cause anyone to take sides. I'm telling you my perspective. I have been in the Pleasant Valley store. I have been talking with the person behind the counter, who shall remain nameless, because this is being video recorded, and I don't want to violate their privacy. And I have heard their concern over being stuck behind that counter during the middle of a pandemic and having who knows who coming through those doors, bringing who knows what into their environment that they're stuck in. And so whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, whether it is my regular practice or not, I do not get out of my truck until I put a face mask on. When I walk in that store, I wear a face mask. That's not because I'm worried about getting COVID. It's not because I think anyone who doesn't wear a mask is blah, blah, blah. It's because there has been a very specific person who has said to me, I'm scared to death. And so for their sake, and again, this is the kindness that I'm talking about. Now, I'm not saying that because now I've gotten my reward taken away from me because I said it to you guys. But the reality is, I'm trying to do what is good, right, appropriate, loving in showing this kindness to this human being. I don't know who's standing behind the counter when I walk in the store. Because if it was only that one person and I knew their struggle, then maybe I wouldn't wear it every single time. But I don't know who's on duty. So I walk in wearing a mask. I do the same thing at the post office. Again, not because I'm scared to death, but because I'm trying to be kind to the people that I'm interacting with. The other thing that I wanted to, to look at, if you look at Luke chapter, chapter 6, verse 35, and there's, there's actually two verses we're going to look at, and I don't know if I'm going out of order. I'm going out of order from my notes, but I don't know if I'm going out of order from... Uh, the way the Lord wants it. So. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Just This is uh, Jesus speaking, and in chapter 6 of Luke, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So what you find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you find in Luke chapter 6. 
And verse 35 says, um, well, let me back it up. Verse 34. Uh, let's back it up. Verse 27 all the way through 36. Chapter 6 of Luke, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs for you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would, and as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Therefore, you be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If I say that I want to be Christ-like in all of my doings, if I say that I want God to pour through me to my community as we talked at the beginning of the service, the flow of the Holy Spirit flowing from me into my community, then I need to be kind regardless of how I'm being treated. And then the last verse that I want us to look at this morning is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans Chapter 2, verse 4. And again, I'm going to take it back to the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And it continues. But go back to that fourth verse. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness, of God's kindness, and forbearance, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, the Christotes, is meant to lead you to repentance? God, who sees the heart. God, who knows the damaged brokenness because of the fall. God sees your rebellion, sees your hostility toward Him, sees your selfishness. And God, in God's kindness, reaches out to you with the ultimate goal of your redemption. Your reclamation. 
God doesn't need anything from you, but God desires you. And so God extends kindness to you. Going back to that idea, kindness has the power to soften hearts. God extends kindness to every single human being with the expectation or the anticipation that it will cause you to soften in your hostility toward God. That it will make you aware of your need for a Savior. That it will help you to understand that you have walked in a way that is contrary to God. So if God extends kindness to sinners and evil people, if I'm trying to be like God, if I'm trying to extend the love of God, should I not also be kind to evil and mean-spirited and enemy-like people? I look at what's going on in our world and I see a polarization going on. I see antagonism. I see roiling. I see chaos. I see the enemy doing everything the enemy can to darken our world. And what is the right response as a Christian? Well, first of all, of course I need to pray and ask God. But what is my right response? My right response, as I see it, is to show love through kindness. I may not have every day an opportunity to say the name of Jesus to somebody. I may not have every day an opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel to them. But every single day, in every single situation, regardless of what my relationship is with that human being, I do have the ability to pull the fruit of the Spirit known as kindness out. And say, God, I choose to exercise this today. I choose to use this today. And where it is hard for me because they're being so nasty, please empower me by your Holy Spirit to be even more kind. And I also encourage you, take some time and look back over the last month. Where were areas in your day-to-day life where you could have done better in showing kindness? I don't ask you to do that so that you feel badly about yourself. I ask you to do that so that you can reflect, find ways that you can do better in the future, and then take steps to be more kind in the future. It may be that some of you guys are walking on water at this point. And if you are, yay, praise God. I know in my life, there have been times over the last month where I could have been more kind. I could have done it a little bit differently. Not in any way trying to get anything for myself, not trying to be have a good name, not trying in any way to manipulate a situation. They don't deserve my kindness. That's none of it. I could have just been kind because it is the right good and moral thing to do, and ultimately by being kind I may end up getting an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus and to share the gospel because a kind act has the power to soften 
the heart. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. The world is in really bad shape right now. But you're still in charge. And we're your children. And literally, we are the carriers of the virus known as the Holy Spirit. We carry the virus known as love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 reminds us that love is kind. So I ask God that you would help us. If it is not second nature for us to be kind, slap us upside the head and remind us to be kind. But help us, God, to be aware of this tool that you've given us, this fruit that we can have exhibiting from our life. And help us, Father, to see a harvest as a result of this fruit growing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.